Today we are facing some of the greatest challenges of our lives, from our health to political unrest, the environment, financial uncertainty, and the nation's racial divide. Welcome to Bill Myers Inspires. My idea for this show was to invite guests and get the conversation started, to take a deep dive into the issues that impact our world with an eye to exploring solutions. And we encourage our listeners to look within themselves to take decisive action to make a positive difference. Welcome to Bill Myers Inspires. I'm your host, Bill Myers. And today we are venturing into a topic that I'm, I'm as interested as, as anyone to, to, to explore. And so to, today's title of the show is Black Men and Fitting In. And uh, my guests today are Mr. Alan Jones and Mr. Phil Coleman. And Phil will be joining us in just a moment, but Alan is here right now. And I want to set up this show, Black Men and Fitting In, seeks to explore the idea of what a black man is, who decides and by whose definition. This in-depth discussion with Mr. Alan Jones and Mr. Phil Coleman are two black men who have expressed their feelings as outsiders and culturally disconnected. So this show seeks to examine the personal and professional life experiences, stereotypes, perceptions, and feelings whether real or imagined, on what it is to be a Black man in America. And so my guest that is with me currently is Alan Jones, and Alan is an American of African descent who grew up in a multiracial, multicultural environment almost from birth. His father took his mother and himself to England when he was just two years old, and since then, he has been spanning cultural barriers and learning about himself and the world he lives in. So uh, please help me welcome my special guest today, Mr. Alan Jones. Alan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Bill. Appreciate that. So I, I want to uh, share with the audience how I came in contact with Alan. And uh, as you recall, one of my very early shows was with a good friend of mine, Mr. Thomas Norman DeWolf, and we were talking about his uh, background and his learning of uh, that he was a descendant from the largest slave trading family in U.S. history. And from that, uh, we also learned that he has committed himself to dealing with racial healing uh, full time and uh, the organization that he is executive director of currently is called Coming to the Table. And so uh, Tom has been talking to me about coming to the table for quite some time. I mean, about 10 years now. And I had expressed to him just before COVID hit my desire and interest to perhaps create a chapter of Coming to the Table right here in Indianapolis, Indiana. And then of course, COVID hit and uh, everything stopped. And so um, then he sent me an email and said that they had started a, an online virtual coming to the table chapter. And so I was eager to get involved with the activities of coming to the table. So I joined right on in and it was through that connection and my involvement with coming to the table, the virtual group, which has members 
of all geographies involved that I met um, uh, Alan Jones and we happened to be in the same little subgroup breakout groups and and through those breakout groups there were pretty uh, insightful conversations and dialogues and as a result of that we we connected uh, outside of the confines of coming to the table and in those discussions is when he expressed certain thoughts that that he'd sort of lightly touched on during the coming to the table meetings but then when we had an opportunity to speak directly with one another he was able to expound on that and uh and share his thoughts and feelings about this idea which actually formulated the the concept and idea of this particular show because i realized that this is a an important dialogue and one that uh is shared by a number of people. Um, so Alan, I, wanna, I want to first again, welcome you once again on the show, but I want you to uh, sort of tell us, uh, fill in the blanks on your, on your bio uh, to the extent that you are associating with this, this idea of not fitting in. And I, and I don't want to put words in your sure. mouth. I want you to be able to, to share in that, um, the, you know, at this time, so. Sure, sure. Um, like I said in the bio, you know, my dad, um, when I was like two, two and a half, took me to England. But before that, he was a choir director in Canada. I live in Detroit. So Windsor in Canada is right across the border. And he ended up being, he was a uh, choir director for a Catholic church in Windsor. So, um, from the very beginning, I was multicultural because I was crossing the border almost every week to be part of the choir. And then he won a what they call a Fulbright scholarship and studied in England for a year. And so he took my mother and I over with him. And so again, you know, I'm in a different culture at the by the age of two and a half. And even while there, it wasn't just the British culture. Um, we ended up living in a predominantly Jewish neighborhood. So my sense of expansion in being part of a multicultural environment grew. Um, subsequently, my dad decided to send me to a boarding school in England. So I spent a lot of my quote formative years as a, in a, as a teenager in a boarding school in England. And when I came back to this country, it was a shock, a cultural shock. Um, because a lot had happened in the seven and a half years that I was there. And I just didn't know where I fit in. I had a British accent. I spoke with British idioms. And so I wasn't quite, the people weren't quite sure what to do with me. You know, I wasn't quote black enough for some people and I wasn't white either. So that began my journey of, well, where do I fit in? And uh, it's, been a, it's been a process. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it seems that you uh, not only in your uh, early developmental years, that experience that you had when you came back to America and you're faced with, uh, you know, where do you fit into this scenario, but, but also then uh, career wise, I believe you had expressed that that has followed you into that you, you mentioned that you are in the IT world of. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's interesting. I, 
I didn't realize it till recently, but next year I'll have been writing code for 50 years. Um, and when, so when I started, you know, the languages of, that we know today are C and all the things they talk about Java mm-hmm. hadn't even been invented yet. Um, things that we take for granted, having a computer in your, in your phone weren't, weren't there. Um, right. And I was there from the beginning. I did a lot of stuff. And, but at the same time, there weren't a whole lot of African-Americans in the IT world. And the more I delve into it, especially in this country, the more I found it's a very closed world. Um, and so I was very often the only black person in the room, very often the only black person in the company. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that feeling of where do you fit in just kept following me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, uh, uh, Phil Coleman has joined us. Uh, welcome, Phil. Hey, Bill. Uh, I want to now uh, 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 introduce you to Phil. Um, Phil Coleman, Phil is passionate about what he is currently doing um, from a humanitarian perspective. Um, Little did he know that his life experience as a professional musician, uh, pro racer, engineer, and business owner was preparing him to take on the task of designing water purification systems for thousands in dire need of safe drinking water around the world. Well, that's a that's a pretty 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 healthy healthy little skip through your through your bio that that obviously lands us to where we are today. But um, as I had said to to uh, Alan, I think it's important that you set that stage and articulate because what had happened was I had met Alan in coming to the table as I mentioned before, and um, within, I would say, a week or 10 days, I find myself in a conversation with Phil Coleman. Now, our mutuality was was centered around both of us being musicians, and it had to do with a, uh, a music opportunity opening up. And from that conversation, I shared with him that the pandemic had, had uh, led me into this podcast um, and so in the midst of that, then again, we start to go a little bit deeper and he, he then shares with me a very similar perspective as Alan. So, so I would like to, uh, Phil, for you to just sort of set that stage and, and share with us, um, the beginnings and, and, and that environment that leads you to a place of feeling like you do not fit in. Okay. Uh, hi, Alan. Uh, it was kind of uh, interesting. Um, Alan and I have a very similar background. I, I've been in IT for 40 years myself. I worked for a, a, a digital equipment corporation in IBM and uh, and as a field service engineer and world support engineer and then into uh, uh, field service management. And um, we kind of went down the same kind of path because I've been everywhere I've gone within a digital and IBM, uh, it's been kind of the similar path. I've, I've really been the only uh, black in, uh, in that environment, but I know we're here to talk about uh, uh, how we started, which I'll do, but Alan, I, you and I can kind of talk together offline sometime. And uh, I'm from Detroit as well. So we have, we have a lot of similarities there, but uh, I grew up in uh, Indianapolis, 
uh, on the south side of uh, town in an area called uh, Fountain Square. And in those days, back in the, telling my age, but back in the 60s, you know, we, uh, uh, we were the, actually the only uh, black family uh, there in that particular area. It's not that many there now, actually. But um, so I grew up with predominantly uh, uh, mostly uh, my white uh, contemporaries. Mm -hmm. And um, so we had really no problem. I didn't, honestly, I really didn't see color at all because all my friends, we, you know, we played cowboys and Indians. We, there's a little creek over there called, we call the dead man's uh, path. And, you know, we all used to make these ropes and go across the, uh, the water. So we, we didn't see any of that. You know, we, I mean, later on in life, I kind of saw a little bit, you know, what was going on with uh, King and Kennedy and so forth. But primarily in that particular environment, uh, it, was, it was just us having fun, fun as kids. And, uh, you know, one through uh, uh, eight. And uh, I got to high school and it was certainly, a, a, I would say, a major cultural shock because here are my Black counterparts. And uh, I can remember to this day, some of, the, some of the sisters used to call me Jive Coleman. And uh, that kind of stuck with me, you know, Jive Coleman. And it, it, you have no idea how that something like that would impact you. And then some of the guys, they were wearing Florsham and Stacy Adams shoes and all I had was some hush puppies and some blue jeans, which I was perfectly happy with. But, uh, you know, I got talked about uh, quite regularly. And uh, but what was more interesting was the fact that uh, I thought I was going to be embraced by um, my uh, black friends, I thought. But uh, they did not want to associate with me because I was too jive. I talked a little bit different than they did. And the, the association was very limited. So it was it was an interesting uh, phenomena in in. in in the lunchroom at this high school, all the whites were on one side of the cafeteria and all the blacks were on the other side of the cafeteria. And so I remember the very first day I went there, I really didn't know where to go. Should I go with the, it associates with some of my white contemporaries or some of my black contemporaries. But, but what happened was no one really wanted to associate with me because the blacks call me jive and square and I wasn't fitting in at all. And I tried to hang with some of my, uh, again, white contemporaries and oh no, that was taboo then because, you know, it was, I was not supposed to be in that area. So I ended up sitting by myself. So that's kind of gives you kind of the background there, Bill. Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Um, and, and we're going to go a little bit deeper into this because, again, I think we're we're being polite here um, and, and I, I really want to get down with the get down. So let, let's uh, let's hold on to that thought. That's a good jump off place. But we got to hit a commercial break right now and uh, we'll be right back in just a minute. You're listening to Bill Myers Inspires. Uh, I'm your host, Bill Myers. And today we're exploring black men and fitting in. And we'll be back in just a moment. Today, we are facing some of the greatest challenges of our lives, from our health to political unrest, the environment, financial uncertainty, and the nation's racial divide. 
Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Bill Myers Inspires as he and his guests take a deep dive into the issues that impact our world with an eye to exploring solutions. Emmy Award-winning actor Bill Myers is an accomplished actor, jazz musician, filmmaker, writer, educator, and speaker. As a biracial man who's both black and white, Bill leverages his background, talent, and voice through creativity, compassion, and connection as activism for social justice to focus on uniting the divide and compelling change. Bill Myers Inspires encourages listeners to look within themselves and take decisive action to make a positive difference. For more information, visit his website, BillMyersInspires.com, and sign in for the latest news and updates. Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspired Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world knowing your voice matters and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspired Choices Network radio host. Email become a host at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. You're listening to Bill Myers Inspires here on the Inspired Choices Network. We're here every Friday. 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you for joining us. And now, let's get back to the conversation. We're back, and you are listening to Bill Myers Inspires, and today we are exploring Black men and fitting in. Um, and my subtitle for today's show was uh, Perspectives on identity and that's really what we're talking about today because we are dealing with two separate gentlemen who have expressed the idea um, that they did not fit in and I think they're very different sort of circumstances um, uh, Alan I'm going to ask that you uh, pick up here and and go a little bit deeper because you share a lot of uh, information uh you, you you oversimplified the move from england because this was a whole thing from you that had to do with uh, as you talked about your father and 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 the different um activities that he was involved with and uh you know and opera and all, i mean it, it's a whole bigger piece and so i really want to i think that for uh in all fairness for us to really get closer to this this identity issue um, it would be good to, to flesh that out just a little bit more. Well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, the more I think about things, the more I talk about things, the more memories hit me. So um, I read a book a long time ago about the ways that African-Americans survived. And, you know, one of the ways was you assimilate or you defy or you just hide. And 
in our family, there was sort of like a combination of all three. And I didn't realize the mixture until I got older. I was like 30 or 40 before I realized what part was assimilation, what part was defiance, and what part was what. Um, but it went deeper than that because I also discovered that even my own family background was a mixture of cultures. My father was from the deep South. My mother was from Barbados. I didn't realize until I was almost 50 that those two cultures were different, but they informed how I dealt with things. And so it was that sense of who am I? Because I loved hip hop. I loved LL Cool J when he first came out. But at the same time, I love Bach. I mean, I was raised on Bach and Brahms and Beethoven. I wanted to be a composer, a serious classical composer. But at the same time, I love jazz. So there's that constant feeling of I'm not white and I'm not black. And one of the things that we've talked about that really hit me this week especially is the word and. I don't want to be black or white. I am black and white. And that and is important. Um, because there are parts of me that were raised in the British system that I will never give up. There are parts of me that were raised in the Catholic system, which is traditionally a European-based religion. I don't want to give up. But at the same time, I love gospel. I mean, I got to see Andre Crouch twice. You know, I love that side of me. So, and that bumps into the acceptability of what white people expect you to be like. So they're, they're, they're okay when you talk about Bach and Brahms, but they're not okay if you wanna bring in some Andre Crouch. And so, you know, that constant, about the same token, you know, if I'm talking to some black folks, you know, they, like Phil said, they sort of look at you funny when you talk about Bach. Now, so long as you talk about, you know, some good music um, and what they decide is good music, you're okay. But so you constantly have this, you know, what we call it, the code switching. But when you're in that middle ground, you, you get tired of code switching. Okay. Okay. So, so Phil, you want to weigh in here? Cause I, I'm going to, I want to sort of create equal space here. This is uh, navigating the three-way conversation. And then I will jump right on in because I got some things to share with the both of you. Okay. So, so when I mentioned the polite thing is it, I, 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 I meant to, to sort of throw a, a little bit of a rock in our conversation because I want to have a serious conversation about black men and not fitting in right now. I, I just don't want to, I mean, the niceties and stuff, that's fine, but we got black people. We got white people. We got real issues. So I want to make sure that we're not, dancing too much around the periphery because we don't need to be uh, uh I, I just want to make sure we hit the subject you know what i mean <laughs> i mean so and 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 again that's not that's not a crack at you i just am saying it's okay to for us to say white and black because that's what we're talking about in in, in a lot of these cases so um but go ahead i'm sorry okay yeah, I didn't know I was being political. Or I, I oh, no, it wasn't just you. I just want to accelerate because uh, 55 minutes goes pretty quick. So I want to make sure that we get to some of the real subtopic pieces, um, you know, during this. So, but anyway, go ahead. I will hush my mouth. Uh, okay. Uh, it's, it's kind of funny. I, I'm, I'm telling you, Al and I are 
our paths are very similar. Uh, growing up in that era, uh, I was exposed to country music. I mean, that's really all I knew, you know, and uh, other than when I got a little older, my, uh, my father uh, and brother played uh, a lot of jazz, but that really wasn't kind of my thing at that particular time. And I even actually got dogged out by uh, uh, my own brother for, for uh, liking uh, country music, but it was my environment. And um, so again, I, I, I get to uh, 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 Manual High School, you're talking about raw. It was pretty dang on raw at that particular time because uh, uh, I just wasn't that hip kind of person. But the only thing that really saved me uh, was James Brown. I really liked uh, what he did with some rhythms and so forth. And uh, but I still even had a conflict then because I was listening to uh, a country station in Nashville. But in the same city, there was another station called WLAC out in Nashville. And they played, uh, they played R&B and then you had the country uh, um, stations playing that. So I kind of went back and forth, but it, it, went into, it got into a, a area that was really uncomfortable because uh, some of the white folks were looking at me as if I was uh, a fraud playing country music, you know? And uh, I said, man, where are we at here? You know, I, this is what I grew up with. It was my environment. And uh, so, you know, I had to learn how to talk hip, which I never, which I actually failed to do, but uh, it, uh, but playing music, you know, it actually helped me to to blend in with uh, my white contemporaries and, and black as well because I was pretty daggone good on that on those drums, and uh, so that kind of helped. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is interesting because okay, so so as we talk about this, I'm I was I was working under a premise of, of on black men and fitting in. Uh, mostly the referral point of uh, fitting in with other black people. And, and so, uh, I, I mean, cause fitting in black men fitting in, I mean, you know, black men in, in, in mass are black men. I mean, so, so the, the fitting in as it relates to um, trying to uh, uh, fit into white America, uh, you know, has its own challenge, but that's one that is shared by every black man. What I'm talking about is when you say I don't fit in, then there's something here that would suggest to me as a black man that you are having an issue mostly and I'm not black enough. So, and, and, and what that is. And so I want to challenge and really inquire about uh, how do we see, uh, you know, what is a black man? I, I, I mean, because I think that we may have um, framed in our own minds, perhaps, again, I toss this out for conversation, uh, what what our idea of black of a black man is, um, and so now that that forces us to engage uh, stereotypes. You know, stereotypes are not found in zero truth; they are actually found in some truth, but then exaggerated and taken on to a whole other level. Um, so I think that um, in in the identification of what a black man is, and one self being you know alan or phil you or or me saying well, i don't really fit into that okay but what is the that 
and who's defined what that is. Because we must be able to, to recognize that throughout time, of course, we got the hipsters, you know, the Cab Calloways or the James Browns or the, the contemporary culture as we know it, uh, LL Cool J, what, whatever. You know, we've got our contemporary culture that's always changing and morphing depending on hairstyles, the beat of the music, you know what I mean, so on and so forth that, that, that has that. So that's always the in group, the cool kids or whatever you I, want to call it. I, I don't know about Alan, but for me, uh, I'm probably ruined because I don't feel like I fit in with anybody. Um, I don't know if it's the media having a certain perception of what a black man is supposed to be or, or some of my uh, Jewish uh, media controlled entities, uh, they have a whole different perception of, of white folks. And, and I'm just kind of vacillating somewhere there in the middle. But as I, for example, I, uh, I book bands at various places in Detroit and uh, Indianapolis. And when I go to the, some of the uh, black clubs, you know, I get a lot of, I get a lot of haters. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know if I sound different or what it is, but I don't know if it's jealousy or what, but they are offended that I'm in that kind of position. But the managers put me there because I'm articulate enough uh, to keep things moving and get things organized. But inside me, there's this, there's this feeling I've got to watch everything that I say because I'm going to be perceived as thinking, thinking I'm better than somebody else. And that's not the case at all. I just, I just see myself as a separate individual trying to make it through life like everyone else. Mm -hmm. What about you, Alan? What do you think about that? I, we're coming up. I was, was going to say, you know what, that, that, that is so, that's so real because you know, I am me. I don't, I don't know, and I really did never think about who, what a black man is defined as because I see so many different kinds. Well, all I know is my experience is the same as Phil. I will walk in the room and because I speak a certain way, black folks don't want to talk to me. You know, I mean, I have a, my, my barber and I were talking, I've been doing it for 20 years to my barber. He lost friends because we would talk in the barbershop and they didn't like what we were talking about. So he lost customers because they didn't want to be around us having a conversation. And part of it was the idioms of the speech patterns that I use. I'm like, what am I supposed to do about that? So that made them uncomfortable is what you're saying. Uncomfortable. Right. And they chose to take their business elsewhere. We don't want to be bothered right. with whatever y'all talking about. Okay. All right. So, so, okay. I got you. I got you. Can hey. I add something to that, Bill? Okay, we got a break. We're, we're at a break, but yeah, go ahead. If it, go ahead. Okay, real quick. Uh, I'm involved with the community outreach program, and oftentimes I have to call some of the uh, homes. And um, let's say a kid answers the phone and uh, asks to speak to a certain person, and they'll say, uh, there, "There's some white man on the phone," and that just blows me away. I don't, I don't sound white or black. I just sound like me. But it's right. but it makes you very conscious of where you're at and your surroundings. Right. I got you. I got you. Well, hold on to that. We are, we're going to come back and, 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 and tap on that just a little bit more. I, I appreciate you guys being with me today. We're discussing Black men and fitting in right here on Bill Myers Inspires on the Inspired Choices Network. We'll be right back in just a minute. Today, we are facing some of the greatest challenges of our lives. 
From our health to political unrest, the environment, financial uncertainty, and the nation's racial divide. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Bill Myers Inspires as he and his guests take a deep dive into the issues that impact our world with an eye to exploring solutions. Emmy Award-winning actor Bill Myers is an accomplished actor, jazz musician, filmmaker, writer, educator, and speaker. As a biracial man who's both black and white, Bill leverages his background, talent, and voice through creativity, compassion, and connection as activism for social justice to focus on uniting the divide and compelling change. Bill Myers Inspires encourages listeners to look within themselves and take decisive action to make a positive difference. For more information, visit his website, BillMyersInspires.com, and sign in for the latest news and updates. How wonderful would it be to carry your favorite Inspired Choices Network host with you throughout your day? Well, now you can. Inspired Choices Network now has its very own mobile app. Our free app offers live streaming shows, along with thousands of podcasts and TV episodes. Our shows cover a wide variety of topics. Whether you're waking up with us, carrying us through the day, and taking us to bed with you, we're always here for you to enjoy. We're easy to find. Just search for Inspired Choices Network in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. You're listening to Bill Myers Inspires here on the Inspired Choices Network. We're here every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you for joining us. And now, let's get back to the conversation. We're back. You're listening to Bill Myers Inspires, and today we are discussing Black men and fitting in with my guests, Alan Jones and Phil Coleman. Uh, I want to share a couple of things with you. I guess the main thing that, that I wanted to, to make sure that we, we tackle is the idea, again, as you both had expressed to me, the idea of fitting in or feeling like a misfit or not culture acceptable in this or that. Um, there's a number of things that, that you have said that I just want to sort of pull together and frame just a little bit. Number one, you had mentioned uh, you, you mentioned music styles as as a uh, uh, as a, a, a point. And, and uh, Phil, you had mentioned that you you listen to country music and and uh, and and in and that. And I, I want I want to double back to something. So I'm biracial. My mother is uh from a, a proud tradition of, of, of rednecks from Arkansas. Uh, these were guitar pickers. They were proud hillbillies and whatnot. And so you say any of those things to them, they actually, that was a badge of honor. So they weren't running from it. And there's a, there's a uh, significant uh, amount of racism that also comes with that package. Um, so um, that's where she is from. My father is African-American and, and was born here in Indianapolis and served as a police officer for 50 some years. Now, the irony is, is that my mother 
uh, loves to listen to Aretha Franklin and, and so on and so forth. And uh, Nancy Wilson and all that coming from the deep South. And my father, the African-American member of the family loves country music. My mom can't stand it. She's like, turn that stuff off. But as you're talking about, that was something you were raised with every morning. Uh, getting ready for school as a child, it would be the country music station blasting away. So I'm as familiar with Conway, Twitty, Dottie West, um, you know, uh, <laughs> you name it, Loretta Lynn, Glenn Campbell, you know, you, we can just go on and on. Uh, um, Merle Haggard, uh, you know, so I listen to country music every morning before I went to school. I can't say it was my choice, but I got very familiar and comfortable with the music, with, with the idiom of country music and the artists and, and the songs and appreciated it quite a bit. Now, after school, I grew up in a black neighborhood. So, uh, but after school, uh, I would tip down to my buddy's house, two doors down, a black family. And these were my brothers. Uh, their father passed away of a heart attack in the front yard when I was a very small child. And they became my brothers from that moment forward. Um, and we would, we would, you know, be pulling out, you know, the Parliament Funkadelic and the, the whole other school of thought. So those things coexisted in my reality in the course of a day. Um, so those things, but again, uh, as I was listening to you, I'm sort of relating to that now. And in the interest of that, again, we've got totally different, you know, uh, you know, racial, cultural background scenarios. I guess my point is, is that I don't think that when we walk through this life and we think, for for instance, that we are truly alone, I, 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 that's a very dangerous place to be. And so I always feel it necessary to try to assist in uncovering the truth. And the truth is, I already know that we are, none of us are alone. There are big pieces to our narratives that are actually shared by many, many people. And so, again, as you were saying that, and you've already made common connection, Phil, you've made common connection with with Alan on some of the points he was making. I want to I take that a step further. I was speaking to my uh, primary care doctor uh, a few hours ago, uh, and I happened to mention that I was doing my show today, and my topic was Black men and fitting in, at which point, and he is an African-American doctor. I would imagine he's probably, you know, 40, 45, or something like that, anyway. And then he says, sort of me too. And then started sharing from his experience of growing up in Catholic school, um, attending a Catholic university, um, getting his medical degree. And all of this, as he's framing through, he's outlining all of these times and this this sort of isolation or feeling disconnected from the the larger sort of culture as it were he feels like he doesn't didn't fit in but then he went on to tell me that, that there's a posse of professionals um that he was in school with one is a 
lawyer, one is a military, you know, officer, one is so he started identifying these various other African Americans who also feel that, that same, same sense of they are by themselves. What the irony is, you're telling me about community when you say that. Well, I, I want to jump in here a little bit. Yeah, no, 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 go ahead. It's not so much, it's more isolation than aloneness. Because I mean, yeah, obviously Phil and I, Phil and I have these similar experiences, but Phil and I haven't met till right now. Right, right. Know? And so it's, it, the, the thing is you can have common experiences, but if you are not in community physically, um, socially, you feel the isolation. And I think that's what we're talking about. It's not, you, and that I think is the hard part. And for me, the more I look at this, I think, especially for African-American men, we are raised in isolation. Sometimes we're raised in isolation for protection because you know, a group of African-American men get together and all of a sudden you have police people following you. You know, right, you right. walk down the street by yourself, you're gonna be followed. You walk down with three or four, you're gonna have a, 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 a group of cops following you. So in some respects, that isolation is maybe a survival technique, but there are consequences to that. Yeah, so, yeah. there's consequences both ways, wouldn't you think? I mean, it, it, it's, uh, you know, it, there, you know, one argument is safety in numbers. And so then the other one is, but numbers can cause for us. problem, right? So, I mean, and, and that's, that's what's so interesting about this topic is because there's several different, and that's why I said, you know, uh, you know, perceptions of identity because, and, and now that's, that, that also comes back to who the perceiver is, who's the person that's reading into this situation and what are they seeing um, becomes really the deal. But I, 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 that is valid. It's interesting too, because as you mentioned IT and you mentioned uh, Bach and uh, uh, many of these types of things, some of these things fall under a categorical place of uncoolness. And in our school culture. Right. So so uh, none of the cool people are talking about that. You know, uh, none of the cool kids were talking about marching band. You know what I mean? And none of the cool kids were talking. So they, they were in a whole other thing. But also when you mentioned where you landed in the world of IT and I wanted to to get into that here. First of all, let me address the, the notion of the the uh, uh, cool uh, and, and, and that sort of culture thing, which if what we're talking about is our early developmental years, i.e. K through 12, uh, it, there, there is a strong case to be made that that, that uh, um, maturation process through that gauntlet of things is traumatizing and has a lasting effect on the rest of our lives. And so I wanna be very clear about that because it very much does, because those early experiences start formulating your thought process, your awareness, you know what I mean? And then that it sh helps shape your worldview from that point forward. I mean, you know, we learn how to walk and then we just continue doing that same foot after another for the rest of our lives. But we learn that very early. So if we learned how to walk, sideways, we'd probably spend the rest of our lives walking sideways, right? So um, I just wanted to share something about this. Uh, there's a couple of really key points. Um, number one is being the only black in the room. That's a big deal. 
And that is, again, shared by many. And that was one of the things that my doctor had shared that, that he shares with his buddies as well, that in the circles they run in, they are oftentimes the only black in the room. And that makes a huge difference too, which helps contribute further to that sense of an isolation, if you will, because our first instinct when we walk into a space is to look around. Our, our scan is to find something, <laughs> you know, where's my, where's my posse? You know what I mean? Where are my, my people, whether that's color or could be some other qualifiers. I mean, if I look over and you know, see, a, uh, you know, other other bass players in a room or something, you know, it's like, oh, there's my posse. There's my my tribe, if you will, because we're always seeking that connection. Um, and so I think that that's part of the eye scan. It's not so much always just a color issue, but that certainly factors in pretty heavily when we're talking about black men and fitting in. You know, if we're the only piece um, so much of the time that can be very difficult to, to feel that. Go ahead, Phil, you were about to say something. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm, there's a segment of the population. Um, there are thousands and thousands of people like Alan and myself, and I would venture to say that most of them have developed their own survival strategy. And that, that strategy is, is based on probably performance, a, a byproduct of the worst of times, which is the isolate, isolation that, uh, that we're talking about, can, can yield some positive benefits. I, I clearly, clearly remember 10 years old going to Indianapolis Raceway Park. Uh, my father took me there and uh, uh, I really loved ra drag racing. And he uh, took me out, out to up to one of the teams, and they said uh, he asked, "I'd like to get my son involved in this." And man didn't really mean any harm at all. He just said, "Sir, there's just not going to be any opportunities for for colored people." And for some reason, that stuck in the back of my mind. And I just never forgot that. And um, so as time went on, you know, I was able to get a job. I once again, I kept that in the back of my mind, and eventually. You know, I was able to uh, uh, perform my own professional drag racing team. And we won the biggest event uh, in drag racing history, which is the U.S. Nationals, which is actually held right in Indianapolis. So I'm sure if, if you would check with Alan, everything he's done to take away some of the hurt, he's probably has actually pursued other interests that have kept him motivated, that has kept his mind active so he didn't have to deal with some of the hurt of not knowing which way to go. So you kind of turn inside and you, you kind of just develop your own thing. That's why I got fairly decent with music. That's how I got, that's why I'm an inventor. That's how I'm involved in music. It's because, not because I really wanted to, it was just a protective mechanism to, to hide the isolation and the hurt. Right. So it can create an overachiever. In fact, I mean, because you've got something to prove at all times. You've got yeah. something to prove. Um, and, and that that proof and, and that that um, that drive that can happen there uh, is is the only way you can validate why I'm here. If I'm the only one, but this is why I am here. 
right? That's I mean, it. That's that, it. So, no. yeah, I feel that often. Uh, again, uh, to take this, this story all the way back so that you guys are aware, um, uh, I, I wanted to play music from the time I was about six years old and I want to play the trumpet and so on and so forth. It was time for me to be able to uh, audition to become uh, a member of the band and to, to get to play the trumpet. And they denied that and said I had no musical ability. Mm. And not only did they, that was their assessment, it was a test, it was, it was then repeated, uh, even after the parents come and meet. And I just really couldn't accept that. Um, I, I was not believing that. I, I, I had no investment in whether or not they were telling the truth about I have, uh, um, whether I had the musical ability or passed the test. But the one thing I knew that I had was a very strong desire and I have learned throughout my life that I'll go with the guy with a big, strong desire over a natural talent any day because he has something to prove. And just given the opportunity, watch him fly. So, so I know exactly what you're talking about. So, you know, uh, you know, 45 years later, I'm still I, that thought in the back of my mind that fuels me is you have no musical ability. Music's taken me around the world several times. Me, you have no musical ability. Uh, so I've never forgotten that. And so, but it definitely fueled my work ethic because if there was anything I wanted to do was to prove these fools wrong, Decl you know, definitively wrong. So that, that was fuel in my tank for, for doggone sure. <laughs> so, um, so I think that that's really, really important stuff. We're going to take a quick break here and we're going to come back and wrap this up. But you are listening to Bill Myers Inspires. And today we are covering Black men and fitting in. We'll be back in just a moment. Today, we are facing some of the greatest challenges of our lives. From our health to political unrest, the environment, financial uncertainty, and the nation's racial divide. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Bill Myers Inspires as he and his guests take a deep dive into the issues that impact our world with an eye to exploring solutions. Emmy Award-winning actor Bill Myers is an accomplished actor, jazz musician, filmmaker, writer, educator, and speaker. As a biracial man who's both black and white, Bill leverages his background, talent, and voice through creativity, compassion, and connection as activism for social justice to focus on uniting the divide and compelling change. Bill Myers Inspires encourages listeners to look within themselves and take decisive action to make a positive difference. For more information, visit his website, BillMyersInspires.com, and sign in for the latest news and updates. You're listening to Bill Myers Inspires here on the Inspired Choices Network. We're here every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you for joining us. And now... Let's get back to the conversation. 
We're back. You're listening to Bill Myers Inspires. And today we are having a discussion with Mr. Alan Jones and Phil Coleman on Black Men and Fitting In. And I think, um, you know, to, to your point, Alan, uh, you know, a, a lot of times that, that notion of, you know, yes, you can have sort of community and sort of connect dots. But at the end of all of this, I think what we're really zeroing in on is, is how these experiences make us feel. Yep. I just wanted to, to chime in because the two of you were talking about the inspiration of being at the isolation. And I have to, to tell you my, my final story, which is, goes back to what you said. Um, I'm currently full-time employed for the first time in my 30 years with a company because being in IT, I had to pick and choose and try to survive. But five years ago, I was hired at the age of 61 by a software company. And when my manager talked to me after they hired me, he said exactly what you two said. He picked me because I had the desire and the strength and also I was an overachiever, but that overachievement came exactly from what you both said, this feeling of isolation. And so, you know, I took it to, I always used to tell people the best revenge is success. So for me, being in a software company at 66 and keeping up with folks who are, you know, I'm older than some of their parents is the victory. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, you know, it, this has been, this is, and, 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 and congratulations on all fronts because whenever you can sort of stick it to them, you know, I'm, I'm in the back, man, with, I mean, pom-poms, full band, cheering this whole thing on. I mean, you know, because that's the point is that I, I refuse to allow someone else to define who I am and what I am capable and not capable of because I've yet to meet a wall I could not climb. <laughs> so so uh, I, I love a good challenge, you know, and uh, life life has certainly been that way, you know, for me and, and as it is for you and as it is absolutely for everyone. So I, I, I thank you, gentlemen, for joining me in this conversation today. And we will uh, we'll come and visit this some other time. But we are getting ready to sign out of here. You are listening to Bill Myers Inspires and we are talking about black men and fitting in. And we thank you for joining us today and we will see you next week. Thank you. Thank you for spending your afternoon right here with us at Bill Myers Inspires. Remember, we're here every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Inspired Choices Network. Remember to take time this week to take a breath and look within yourself and figure out how you can make a positive difference in this world. Spread the word, and we'll see you here next Friday. Have a wonderful week.